This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Miyuki Akiranta, and welcome to Earshot. Homer Reith, who died last month, was an epic poet, composer, and philosopher. He lived in the little town of Minyip in Victoria's Wimmera district. Two years ago, here on Earshot, we learnt about his life and work. From his birth in the ruins of Stuttgart to his founding of the Minyip Philosophical Society, a local group which he guided through the entire history of Western philosophy. Homer also published two epic poems, Wimra, based on the folk history and environment of the Wimra region, and the massive The Garden of Earth, which centres on the Murray-Darling River system, but is really a hymn to the ecology of the whole planet. It is really a work of the imagination in which the Murray-Darling was chosen because it is the focal point of the lifeblood of the continent. After all, the Murray-Darling system is effectively our Nile. In remembrance of Homer Reith, today we're replaying Homer of the Wimra. Mike Ladd is our guide. In the middle of the Wimmera, in the quiet town of Minyip, in the front room of his book-lined house, Homer Reith plays me one of his tone poems on an old upright piano. It's been a long journey here. Well, I was born in Stuttgart in 1947. I came from a uh, family on my mother's side that was uh, very traditional Catholic Schwabian. And on my father's side, the story mists over slightly because I never knew who my father was, except that uh, much later on when I was older, my mother told me that he was a Georgian whom she had met and had a brief liaison, I suppose, would be the best word for it, of which I was the result. And uh, he left on some business trip he had to go on with the intention of returning. But uh, as it turned out, she never saw him again. What he was doing in Germany, I don't know. My mother's never told me. She's been always remained very secretive. All I know are three things, that his name was Vladimir Shabolin. He was a, an engineer and he came from Tbilisi, or Tiflis, the capital of Georgia. At the end of World War II, Stuttgart lay in ruins. Germany was divided into sectors occupied by the British, French, Americans and Russians. In some ways I must have been almost emblematic of the situation of Germany in the early post-war period. It was very difficult, especially for her, because she was a, a single mother And in those days, it was still a stigmatic situation. Coming from a a devout Catholic background as well, it was very hard for her. So she was the black sheep of the family. And that was one of the reasons we came to Australia, because when I was four and a half in 1952, we came to Australia because she wanted to start a new life to get away from all of those sorts of problems. And of course, from the wider ruination that Germany had uh, endured and she, I remember her saying to me on a couple of days before we left, 
It was a cold day and we were in the middle of a town square. I'm not sure where it was. It might have been in um, Bremen, the uh, German port from which we left for Australia. And I remember my mother saying to me, we were at a water fountain and she said, now drink up. Drink, I know it's cold and you may not be thirsty. Drink as much as you can because we are going to a land without water. I, I remember that very clearly, thinking to myself, you know, th this sounds mythic. Speaking hardly a word of English, Homer and his mother arrived in Bonagilla migrant camp in northern Victoria. And I remember that's where I got into my first childhood fight because uh, I was picked on not only because I was a wog, which I was, but I was also a Nazi because I was a German. <laughs> and in those days, I was so young, I didn't even know what a Nazi was, but I knew it was something bad. <laughs> After they left Bonagilla, Homer's mother found work as a waitress in Melbourne. She was determined to give Homer a good education and sent him away to boarding school. She worked day and night, overtime and evening shifts and all that sort of thing. In that way and in many other ways, I owe her such a great deal I could never repay. So many people who relate their boarding school experiences give us a, a sort of a Dickensian horror story. Um, my experience of boarding school was that it was one of the golden periods of my life. I was happy. I made lots of friends, I had companions, I was intellectually stimulated. It was at the Sisters of Mercy School in Mornington that I first learnt music and learnt to play the piano, which is a lifelong love. Uh, at Kilmore, or, albeit that it was uh, obsessed with football and sporting prowess in general, uh, it was a very good school academically and I, I became a, an avid scholar of Latin and history and literature. And yes, Homer's mother named him after the Greek poet. My mother had a copy of the Iliad in German. Greco-Roman classicism, especially Greek classicism, is very strong in the educational traditions of Germany. And I said, all right, I said, why Homer? And she said, well, because I never thought I'd ever have a child because I thought I would always be single. But I thought if ever I did have a child, I would give it a classical name. And if you're going to have a classical name for a child, you might as well go to the top of the list. <laughs> so that's the name I got. Homer's mother never went back to Germany and stayed single all her life. Although I used to come home from boarding school on holidays, and every time I came home for the holidays, there would be a gentleman to whom I was introduced, and I could see that the idea was to see whether I liked this man or not as a potential father or father figure. And they were all, as I recall, they were all wonderful men, but uh, they all came and went, and she remained single and, and uh, you know, became very stubbornly uh, proud of the fact that she was a single woman. I suppose it's a bit like when once bitten, twice shy. But in her view, I got the feeling that none of them could match her intellect. She was a reader and a, she had a lot of talent. She had a literary talent and a musical talent. She had done some journalism in earlier years. I don't know how she coped 
with some of the jobs that she did. Yeah, she she worked as a waitress. She worked uh, in factories. Her longest stint was at a canning factory called Gadsden's in Coburg in Melbourne. And she was there for many, many years, working day and night. And for her, it was a great job because it was secure. It was reasonably well paid. And they employed women on overtime. And you could see the, the fruit of it was that she proudly announced that the house that she'd bought, she'd already paid off. And I think we'd only been there about four years. So that was the kind of woman my mother was. Politically, she believed in direct action. When she lived in Melbourne, she would go almost every day for decades. She would go by tram into the city, stand outside Myers in Bourke Street, and take someone by the sleeve or by the elbow and begin to talk to them, ask them something and draw them into a conversation and end up expounding her view or vision of the world to them, sometimes for a long period of time until they could somehow disengage themselves and escape. You know, like Marx famously said, philosophers have been trying to describe the world since time began. It's now time to change the world. Well, my mother was a neo-Marxist or, if you like, a closet Marxian. Uh, she certainly wanted to change the world, standing outside Myers every day, inveigling people to discourse with her and uh, I was not privy to most of these conversations but I know that they happened because in those days when I still lived in Melbourne there were times I was in the city not knowing that she was there and I was on a tram in Burke Street and I'd see her with my own eyes at the doors of Maya. It was like a, a Venus flytrap. Someone was totally in her grip. <laughs> God love her. She famously went and uh, I suppose invaded is the only expression, the office of Rupert Hamer when he was the Premier of Victoria. She somehow managed to fight her way through the minders at the door and spent about 15 minutes in Hamer's office giving him instructions as to the better way to run the state of Victoria. Hamer's mother died in 2017 at the grand age of 100. She was born under the Kaiser she grew up during the uh, Weimar Republic, then Adolf Hitler and the, and the Nazis survived the family disgrace of giving birth to me. So she endured all that. And then, of course, coming to Australia as a single woman without any English and without any knowledge of the Anglo-Celtic background, but through dint of determination and, and resilience, she, she created a life for us and it was, it was really good. After high school, Homer joined and left the Jesuits, studied at Melbourne University, lived in England and Spain, and became a teacher of philosophy, history and literature for 35 years, including 21 years at Taylor's College in Melbourne. It had become known as the last chance school because a lot of the kids that came to Taylor's had been thrown out of their previous school. What greater challenge can there be for a teacher? You know, and I was sure that in amongst these, this lot, there were going to be probably some budding geniuses, and in fact, there were. But then came the cuts to education, 
brought down by the Kennett government in Victoria. My career at Taylor's College ended when I was retrenched, as a lot of people's careers were suffering a similar fate during the 90s and during the the great tidal wave of privatisation and all the other economic changes occurring at that time. And uh, for some time I, I was lucky to find any humble job that I could find, including being a, uh, a floor clerk in a government office. And then I came to a point where I realised I'd come to a crossroads. I felt that I had to start a new life. And this had to be physical as well as metaphysical. And so I decided I would start going around Victoria, looking at little country towns, and I'd eventually find one that I'd like. I had friends who lived in Minyip, and I told them about it, and they invited me to come up and stay for a weekend. Before I went back to Melbourne, they said, you know, you could save yourself a lot of trouble, a lot of money, a lot of time. Instead of driving all over Victoria, looking at hundreds of towns, you've already landed in one here, spent a weekend with us here. You've met the locals at the pub. You seem happy here. This could be a place as good as any. And the penny dropped. I thought, that's true. And I've never regretted. I've been possibly the happiest period of my life has been the last 18 years since I first came to Minyip. But Homer wasn't finished with teaching, not by a long chalk. I had been thinking for quite a while, ever since I'd started living in Minyip, about the incredible generosity and kindliness and friendship of people in my town and how, how much that helped me in so many ways, big and small. And I thought, well, you know, the old adage about what can I in turn do for my community? I can't fix people's roofs or do their plumbing or mend their fences or dip their sheep or anything. What I can do is teach. So I thought, well, I'll put an ad in the local Lions newsletter for a three-month course in Greek philosophy for anyone who's interested. To, they may never have done philosophy but have always been interested as to what it's about. And so I'll, 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 I'll just do a little intro for them. And uh, at the last minute before the ad went in, I rang up the editor and said, can I just add one line at the bottom of the advertisement? And I put in, at the end of every lecture, free port and sherry will be served. And I, I thought that was an important addition, just, just as a, an incentive, because otherwise nobody might turn up. At least I might get a few stragglers at least getting a free drink out of it, if nothing else. Anyway, the first lecture, eight people turned up, much to my surprise. And, uh, and they quickly told me that it wasn't because of the free port and sherry. That two or three of them said that they'd come because anything that someone was going to do that would be a contribution to the town was worth supporting, whatever it was, even if it was of no interest to them at all. And four or five of the others said that they were actually interested in the topic of studying philosophy and they thought they'd give it a go. In the seven years since... The Minyip Philosophical Society has grown to 25 members, including some who drive for hours to get to class. There are no fees, no exams and no roll books. You just turn up on a Friday morning if you're interested. 
From the initial course in the ancient Greeks, Homer has taken the group through the history of Western philosophy, right up to the French postmodernists. Let's meet some of the members of the Minyip Philosophical Society. Uh, my name is Helen, and I'm a farmer. And what were your first impressions of Homer and the group? Uh, Homer is a lovely, warm, engaging speaker. He's very entertaining, easily diverted, <laughs> a very friendly, welcoming group. Yeah. And, and I've met some really interesting people coming over here. I live in a town called Stuart Mill, so John Stuart Mill is probably, he's my favourite. <laughs> Why? What do you like about him? <laughs> well, I like his attitude towards women. He, he um, advocated for the vote for women and also um, for them to be able to be eligible for elected office. And given that he died in 1873, he was a man well ahead of his time. Is there a particular quote that you've heard from a philosopher that you've applied to your life? Um, uh, Marcus Aurelius, um, with his just take what you've got and like it type of attitude that, <laughs> that helps a farmer get through a few tricky, tricky stages. I just call myself Ant, was a mechanic. I think I've been interested in the ancients, probably Aristotle. I wouldn't have known anything about him. I went to a tech school very limited uh, in um, education. And, um, what is it about Aristotle you like? In anything in particular? I think any extreme is a problem mm. in history and today. And mm. if you're extreme either way, it's not very good for everybody. If you're at the top of the tree, you don't have to worry. If you're down the bottom on New Start, not so much philosophising because we worry about mm. what we can eat. <laughs> My name's Christine Halstead. I in a previous life, managed consultants in local government, right. care of waterways, things like that. And I thought, oh, there's a group of people around who are interested in the same things that I'm interested in. I do like the big ideas. And so I started to drive over on a Friday. And uh, and where were you driving from, sorry? Benalla. <laughs> so right across a, a good part of the state. And um, how far is that drive, just for people who don't four know? four hours drive. Four hours one way. Yes. And I then just realised over a period of time that I knew more people in Minyip than I knew in Benalla. So it seemed very sensible to move under those circumstances. And it also afforded me an opportunity to buy a house I could afford and retire. And it's been wonderful for me. So the Minyip Philosophical Society has led to you buying a house in Minyip? Changed my life. What sticks in your mind as a, as a key philosopher for you? I'm very fond of um, Bertrand Russell, and he said that love is wise and hatred is foolish. He said we need to put up with some offence and exercise charity and tolerance or we all die together. And I thought that was very profound. But I'm also very interested in, in Michel Foucault. I think his writings on power and... Um, I've got a collection of his lectures on governmentality. My name's Glenn Haldon. I started as a uh, hand and machine compositor in the printing industry in 1965. I'm now retired after having a very severe motorbike accident in 2010. And uh, despite the, uh, the accident, I still ride when I can. And I've got a good mate who convinced me that I need to buy another good bike, a cruiser, so I did, and we headed off one day and found ourselves in Minyip on the way and decided to stop and have a bit of a look around. I'd never been here before, and uh, 
we stopped over the road from this hall and when uh, one of the blokes came up and started chatting to us and talking about the bikes he also had a, a bike the same as mine and uh, anyway um, after a little while people started to file into the hall and I said oh what's going on over there and he said oh we've got a philosophical class over here do you want to come in so and that was that was two years ago we sort of come in fairly late but um, picked it up pretty quickly and uh, I've loved it ever since it's an absolute inspiration it's one of the things I really look forward to every Friday I, I really look forward to coming over here and uh, getting into very serious discussion with Homer and uh, is there something in the last couple of years of philosophy lectures that you've been attending that really sticks in your mind as a as a philosopher that really appeals to you? Yeah, the philosopher Hegel. I, I really took to his uh, his dialectic, and I've been applying it, trying to apply it anyway. I haven't quite succeeded, but but I've been thinking about it in terms of our two party political system here in. Uh, in Australia and and in the US, working on his his idea of a, a thesis progressing to an antithesis, progressing to a synthesis, and back again. You know, it's a it's it's almost circular motion, a very mathematical. And uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who you vote for; you, you always get government. Shirley Smith and I used to be a well office manager. Then I uh, went away to work, and actually I went away flying with TAA, and now I'm retired. I like uh, Kant, then Kant goes into uh, Hegel and then Hegel goes into Nietzsche and of course then in comes Marx. But growing up in a small community like Minyip, just talking about those ones broadens your outlook. As well as being a teacher of philosophy, Homer is a poet. Living in Minyip, in the heart of the Wimmera, he decided to write an epic, simply called Wimmera. Well, Ezra Pound famously said that an epic is a long poem with history. And uh, I began to think that the region itself being so vast deserved a poem on a vast scale. The very identity of the Wimmera is exceedingly vague or imprecise. One could even say it's more of a metaphysical entity than it is a physical entity. And so I began to write the poem along those lines. For me, the Wimmera became increasingly not just a place where people happened to live or farmers grew wheat and canola, but the matrix of some sort of spiritual experience. The endless plains with the endless skies above during the day with the great armadas of clouds floating by, and in the night the great armadas of the galaxies. Tells me he does. The wind-blown skies, the sand crampons, the great flood flats and Gilgay full of herons and lapwings and terns, and great snow formations of clouds up so high You know they're always up so high. It's London to a brick, it'll never rain. And to myself I sing, wondering what echo will come back to me as it did for him. And from where, out of the dark, to find a language for his villages and hamlets, for his impossible small towns, scattered like atolls in an ocean 
without a drop of water. For here the eye sees for as far as it likes and knows that what it sees is nothing, that nothing is something after all. Homer Reith followed Wimmera with an even more ambitious epic, The Garden of Earth, The Murray Darling. I wanted to say something about the continent of Australia more broadly and indeed about the planet. In, in short, what I wanted to do was to address the state of the natural world in the era of climate change and it is really a work of the imagination in which the Murray Darling was chosen because it is the focal point of the lifeblood of the continent. After all, the Murray-Darling system is effectively our Nile. As well as that, that it was the story of my growth as a poet, in the same way that Wordsworth's prelude was the story of the growth of a poet's mind. In a sense, my garden of earth is, is my prelude. And the river, he would say, is still there to remind us. It is the bearer of stories older than these greenwood waters, stretching from barrage to barrage, from shore to limestone shore. And this, he would say, is what the land has made allowance for, this art of indirection, of endless circumlocution. Out there, he says, pointing to nowhere in particular, the light is shrinking back from its own glare into a shard world of heaped stones, of mangled shadows. And we, he pauses, as if to admonish, maybe the last of the line, our fate shall be at the mercy of the eloquence of insignificant things. It seems now his mother's decision to call him Homer has been fully justified. The irony of it is that I've ended up teaching classical studies and now I'm teaching Greek philosophy in Minyip and I've written two epics, which is a very classical thing to do. It seems like it was all foreordained. Homer of the Wimmera knows who he is and where he wants to be. Superficially, Minyip would probably be hard to distinguish from any small town of a similar size anywhere in Australia. It has its ups and downs, it's good and bad, it's bright and it's dark. But then, after a while, you begin to discover things which were hidden, reveal themselves. People you begin to learn about and to enjoy the company of then after a while the landscape itself starts to imprint itself and I very quickly realised that I felt as if I was in my element. The, the bigger the landscape lying in front of you, the bigger your heart and soul began to grow. That's how I felt and this is where I belong and this is where I, I want my mortal remains to remain. 
and Homer now has his wish. He donated his collection of 3,000 books to the Minyip Progress Association, and his ashes have been scattered in the Wimra. Production today was by Mike Ladd, with sound engineering by Tom Henry. Homer Reith's books are published by Black Pepper. I'm Miyuki Ranta. This is Earshot. Thanks for your company. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.